There we go. Am I on? Well, I don't know. Am I on? Okay. All right. There we go. Now we're cooking with peanut oil. So, well, good morning, everybody. Glad everybody could be here. Um, Brigetta, welcome back. It is good to see you. Um, me, along with Martin, I did not get a phone call this morning telling, saying anything. So, you know, so you get what I got. So, um, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. In chapter 3, uh, we were talking this morning, and just, you know, just as a quick announcement, um, we would like to know your guys' opinion on a service for Christmas Day. So please talk to Dick and Martin and let them know what your opinion would be, and uh, I'll be sure that I veto it So, and, uh, <laughs> and everything. So please uh, let, let them know what, what your thoughts might be so we can make an informed decision on that um, on Christmas Day. So, All right, brothers and sisters, let's go ahead and bow our heads and we'll pray and We'll dig in. Father, we thank you for your son. Lord, we thank you for Jesus that he has come, Lord, that he lived this perfect life. He was born, Lord, perfect, the God-man, perfect in flesh, and he lived this perfect life, and he died a perfect death, Lord, that he took our sins to the cross. As your word says, he bore them in his body. Father, we thank you that Christ was condemned that we would not have to be condemned. Lord, we thank you that he died our death that we would not have to endure your wrath as he drank that cup for us. Father, you are so good and so merciful and so gracious. And Father, we see that Christ's sacrifice was accepted by you as he rose from the grave three days later. And now he sits at your right hand as he intercedes for us, Lord. Father, may we be grateful every day for the very breath that Jesus gives us. Lord, now as we look into your word, I would just pray that your spirit would come, Father, and would fill all of us, Lord, to hear your word that our eyes would see Christ, that our ears would hear, and that our hearts would be filled with much joy as we talk about the greatness of who Christ is. Father, may you do this, that you would be glorified, Lord. Would you give me words to say and guard words not to say that I would not bring any shame to you or to your word or to your pulpit, Lord. So I just ask this, Father, in your name, that you would be glorified in all of it. Amen. Confession. We hear the word confession, and we automatically think of someone being arrested for something, and they confess to a crime. But in the religious sense, the word confession means a statement setting out essential religious doctrines. Essentially, it is what we believe. It's a confession that we have. 
In the Reformed circles of Reformed theology, there's two main confessions that are out there. There's a 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and then there's the Westminster Confession of Faith with the larger and smaller catechisms. These are the two main confessions, and what they simply say is what they believe about doctrine within the church. They are absolutely great confessions to read and to look at. But when we look at what we're going to look at today, Paul had no idea of a 1689 London Baptist Confession or of a Westminster Confession of Faith. But Paul does give the church what its confession is. If we remember last week, what we looked at was how we are to behave in the household of God. right? And we saw last week that in the household of God that it is the household of the living God that the household is the church of God not only the local church of God but it is the universal church of God and that its purpose is that it's the pillar and support of the truth of God remember we have to remember when we talked last week that the church is not the truth of God God is the one who brings truth. The word of God is what is true. The church is the pillar in support of that truth. The church is not the truth. And so we see how we are to behave in this household. And now in the next verses, what Paul gives is the household confession. What we are to confess what we are to believe, what we are to hold on to, what we are to grasp. And here's what he says. Look at verses 14. We're going to read it in full uh, all the way to 16. Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the household's confession. And Paul says, great we confess. This is something that we greatly confess. Great indeed, the mystery of godliness. Now we know that Paul talks about this mystery, and a mystery was something that was within the Old Testament that was revealed in the New Testament. And we see that Christ, as we look in the Old Testament, Christ is all through the Old Testament, but all of a sudden when when he comes on the scene in the New Testament, we see him for all that he is. And so what I want us to look at today is Jesus is the greatness of our confession. He's the greatness of our confession. Just listen to these verses. This is what Paul writes to the first Corinthians. He said, for I delivered of you of first importance what I received. So we see that this is first importance, brothers and sisters. The first importance of what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, he says it this way, but we, cre- we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's confession was Christ. That is all he talked about. That's all he wanted to know was Christ and him crucified. That is our confession, brothers and sisters. The greatness of Christ in our confession. Here's the first thing I want us to look at. The greatness of Christ in our confession is that he is God. Jesus is God. Look at the first statement. He was manifested in the flesh. Some translations, like the King James Version, puts it this way. God was manifested in the flesh. Paul makes it even clearer in the King James Version. There was God who was manifested in the flesh, who was made known in the flesh. This is Jesus in the flesh. The God-man. God becoming man. The incarnation of God. We see it in John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. So we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on we'll see where it, and Jesus manifests God in John 1.14. He becomes manifest. In John 14.9 he says this, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So, brothers and sisters, if we want to see what God is like, we have to read about Jesus. We just look to Jesus because Jesus manifests God. He's the one that makes God visible. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. And then again in Hebrews 1.3, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But he is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of God. When we see Jesus and we read about Jesus and we see what Jesus has done, we see the Father. He is the exact imprint imprint of who he is and he came in the flesh now when we talk about the flesh and we talk about us in the flesh we talk about the sinful flesh we have to remember jesus is perfect in every aspect every thought every word every action that jesus did he was absolutely perfect so when paul talks about that he was manifested in the flesh here he's talking about his humanness He's talking about his humanness, that he became human. And that's why I bring in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became human. God became human. Romans 8.3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned all sin in the flesh. His humanness. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then in John, uh, 1 John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world. So we see that Jesus is God in the flesh. This is our confession. We confess that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's our first confession. Our second confession is that Jesus is sinless and righteous. Look back at 1 Timothy. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated by the Spirit. Now this word vindicated can also mean to be righteous or regard as innocent. So we see this perfect life of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus is his perfect life obedient life no sin was found in him when he was reviled he did not revile in return he is the perfect spotless unblemished lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world john eight forty six says this which one of you convicts me of sin jesus asked if i tell you the truth why do you not believe me no one could convict him of sin In uh, Hebrews 4.15, the writer of the Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Just imagine your daily life. Imagine when you wake up. Imagine all the sin that you face. All the temptations that you face. All the trials that are before you. And yet Jesus faces every single one of them, and yet he never sinned. He never sinned. This is the greatness of who our Savior is. The greatness of our confession is we have a Savior who is sinless. Who is sinless. Hebrews 7.26 puts it this way. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. A high priest who is what? Innocent, holy, unstained. This is the greatness of our confession of who Jesus is. He is not only God in the flesh, but he is the holy, innocent, unstained high priest vindicated in the spirit could also mean his resurrection his resurrection that he was vindicated as god in the flesh because he rose from the grave listen to romans 1 3 and 4 concerning his son who was descended from david according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of god in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead jesus our lord So this vindication of spirit can mean that he was risen from the grave. It can mean that it was his righteous life. I think we can hold to both. I think we can hold that our Savior, the greatness of who Jesus is, the very one we come to celebrate today, holds both of those, a perfect righteous life that was vindicated by his resurrection, meaning that his sacrifice was appeasing to God. It was satisfactory to God. And we see that Jesus is beheld by angels. Look at the verse. 
He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was seen by angels. And all, all through the Old Testament, we see where angels came and they visited people and, and they, they brought a fearfulness to these people, right? People like fell down and they're like, hey, look, don't fall down, get up, right? I'm, I'm just an angel. But they brought a fear to us. But these angels who come in much power, these angels worship Jesus. They're the ones who worship him. This is the greatness of who he is, is that he is worshiped by angels. Hebrews 1.6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. All the angels worship Jesus. Even the fallen angels worship Jesus because he is God in the flesh. This is the greatness of who he is. So the angels worshipped him. These angels were at his birth. He was seen by angels. Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They were with Jesus in his temptation, Matthew four eleven. Then the devil left him and beheld, behold, angels came and were ministering to him. They ministered to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember in the garden, after he had had the Last Supper and he goes to the garden, Jesus falls to the ground. He's in agony. He's uh, distraught because what's got to happen? He's got to drink the wrath. He's got to drink the cup. This is what he has to do. And he prays that, that it would be taken from him. But then he, he says, but not my will, but yours be done. But angels ministered to him in the garden in Luke 22, 41 through 44. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but yours be done. Can you just imagine that? Can you imagine that you have to bear the, the wrath of Almighty God. Of course, in His humanness, in His flesh, He was everything like us, except He wasn't sinful. But He had emotions. He had these. This had to be a fearful thing in His heart. Father, I have to bear Your wrath for sin. Is there any other way we can do this? But he says, no, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. So we see where, where these, these angels were at his birth. They were in his temptation. They were, they were with him in the garden. And then they were, they were there at the resurrection. The angels were there at the resurrection. Matthew 28, 6, he is not here, for he has risen. As he has said, come, see the place where he lays. They were there. They saw the resurrection. And not only this, but the angels were present when he ascended into heaven. Acts 1, 9, and 10, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him up out of, the, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white robes. 
So the angels beheld who Jesus was, the glory of who Christ was. The angels were in amazement of who he is. This is our confession, brothers and sisters, of the greatness of who Jesus is. Not the greatness of who we are. It's not about our greatness, but it's about his greatness, right? And this is what we proclaim to the nations, is his greatness, not ours. Look again, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. He is the one who is preached. We are heralds of the good news. What do we do? We preach Christ and him crucified. That was what Paul did, right? We read it earlier. I want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He preached Christ and that was it. This is what we are to do. We are to go out to all the nations and preach Christ. We're to proclaim the excellency of who he is. That's why we are a royal priesthood, to proclaim those excellencies. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Again, in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, he goes, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then again in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what we do, brothers and sisters. We proclaim the greatness of our confession who is Jesus Christ. This is the simplicity of the gospel. We go out, we're heralds, we're ambassadors to the king. We bring people, Christ. And not only was he proclaimed among the nations, but he was believed upon. This gospel was believed. It was believed. Listen to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 again. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. This gospel goes out to all the world, and he's believed on in all the world. All the world. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter preaches this sermon. He talks of the goodness and the greatness of God. He talks about the glory of Christ. He talks about the crucifixion of Christ. And they are pierced to their souls, Acts tells us. And they came to Peter and they said, Brother, what must we do? And he says, Believe and be baptized. And they are, and God adds 3,000 on that day. He was believed upon. They believed the message. They believed the gospel. Brothers and sisters, here's the question to you. Do you know the gospel? And here's the question to you. Do you know the gospel? 
There's a difference between knowing the gospel and knowing the gospel. There's a difference between knowing the gospel and knowing the gospel. Which one do you know? Has the one up here, has the Holy Spirit transferred it 12 inches down to where it's here and you live that gospel out? He was believed upon. Do you believe what you really believe? Or is this just a show? I'm just coming as a show. That's it. Or no, I believe in whom I believe. Which one is it? Do you know the gospel or do you know the gospel? It's a very good question to ask yourself. Very good question to ask yourself. So finally, we see that Jesus was taken up in glory. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This is none other than his ascension. None other than his ascension. Acts talks about this ascension. Acts 1, 9, and 10. And when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of the sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Hebrews 1.3 talks about it again. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He did not come to the Americas and visit people. When he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is where Jesus is today, brothers and sisters. He is at the right hand of God in glory, in splendor, in majesty, exalted high above the heavens. This is where he sits as a human, which is mind-boggling that he sits at the right hand of God as a human. That's why he is our high priest. That's why he is our great confession. This is why he is who he is. So what should our response be? Praise? Yes. Adoration? Yes. Proclamation? Yes. A love for the gospel? Yes. That love for the gospel to be obedient to Christ? Yes. This is our response. But not only this, but Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Brothers and sisters, this confession, it's our hope. It's our hope. This here, Bullet theology. You guys have heard that before from me. This is bullet theology. This is the gospel, the word of God. He was God in the flesh. Will you take a bullet for it? He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was raised from the grave. He had a perfect sinless life. Would you take a bullet for it? I would. He was seen by angels. Yeah, yeah. Pull the trigger. Proclaimed among the nations. Yes, this is what we are supposed to do. Believed on in the world and taken up in glory. This here, for me, is bullet theology. 
This is what we hold fast to, our confession of hope. This is what we base our hope in. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is not in your end times theology. Don't put your hope in your end times theology. Put your hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is. That is where our hope is. Now, to close, I just have a story I want to share, which I read, which I copied out of a book. So it's not my story, but this was the story. There once was an old church in England. A sign on the front of the building read, We Preach Christ Crucified. After a time, Ivy grew up and obscured the last word, the motto now read, We Preach Christ. The ivy grew some more, and the motto read, We Preach. Finally, ivy covered the entire sign, and the church died. Such is the fate of any church that fails to carry out its mission in the world. Brothers and sisters, we preach Christ crucified. That should be our motto for Faith Bible. We preach Christ crucified. So, as we come now to the communion table, brothers and sisters, as we come, may you and I heed the warning. We have to heed the warning that Paul gives us. And here's the warning that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 11. He says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. So brothers and sisters, make sure as we come to the communion table that your heart is right with God. Make sure it is right with God. Make sure you've repented of your sin. It doesn't mean that you might not have things going on in your mind that you're struggling with. Be sure you're repentive of your sin. Come to him. If you're here and you're not a believer, this is not for you. Don't take it. Let it pass by. It's okay. It's okay. So now, brothers and sisters, as we come to the table, may we rejoice. May we rejoice in the greatness of our confession that Jesus is God that he is sinless and righteous, that he is the resurrected king, that he is beheld by angels, angels worshiped him, that we get to see how beautiful his ascension was, that he is proclaimed among the nations, and that he is believed upon, and that he is taken up in glory. Take some time, brothers and sisters. Pray as we pass out these elements that our hearts would be right, and that our confession would be Christ himself.